Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Good Hello. <laughs> In the studio, we've got Chris. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> and Ayan on the panel. Yay! <laughs> uh, and I'm George. And we also just want to say thank you to the Radioactive Show, current news and information on nuclear peace and energy issues. The program that you just heard was actually, yeah, it was really, really interesting. I want to listen back properly to it. It was about, um, like, First Nations kind of uh, stuff in terms of environmental issues and mm. native title and and governments. And, and yeah, at the end they touched on international, like other states, and setting up truth commissions. Very Amazing. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Download that. Is, yeah. It, is it on podcast? Um, it, might, it might go to podcast eventually, but you can listen online I'll straight just away. Online. Oh, awesome. Yeah, of <laughs> course I know that. I'm an activist. <laughs> Why wouldn't I know that? No, it's a good question. You can search the radioactive show and you can listen to the episode that just aired. Yeah, it sounds phenomenal. It it replays on Saturdays, so 10 a.m. to 10:30. Yes, I did my quick Google search. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, so should we get into news headlines? Yes. Yeah. Uh, There are. Lot of lot of stories out at the moment. A lot of um, yeah, a lot of climate stuff. Sorry, my headphones a little off. Um, the big story today is that there's there's another there's gonna be another massive UN climate summit following last weekend last week's historic climate marches, biggest biggest the world's ever seen. And you know, uh, you wouldn't know it by some of Australian media. Um, you know, some papers <laughs> had it on page thirty. The really? Western Australia, yeah. Western Australia, it was pretty atrocious. And then Courier Mail had a page three, but then it was like, these guys don't even know where Adani is on a map. It's like, that doesn't really discount the first part, you know. It's like you probably talked to like three people who didn't know that. Anyway. Wow, um, they're just digging for anything they can Yeah, do. some of the responses were hilariously bad, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, today the, the real problem is that there's going to be this climate summit. Uh, the UN's, it's only for people who are increasing their ambitions. So Australia hasn't been invited to speak, but they were invited to come and, and mm. like watch and be, be a part of it. Scott Morrison has snubbed that, even though he's in America. He's off butting up with Donald Trump and yep. going to Trump rallies instead today. I saw the photo with Gina Reinhart oh, and God. Scott Morrison and Trump. Yeah. Doesn't that speak volumes yeah. that, you know, a non-politician is there in between the two of them? Yeah. Just happens to be a mining magnet. Yeah. So that's what he's up to instead of going to these... Yeah, these things where where people are being called on to triple their ambitions, and Australia is has de- he's declined that obviously because not only uh, he's, they they love to flaunt that like hey we're going to make our Paris commitment for 2030, 
and absolutely we can say that with certainty we will not if things stay the way they are. They're Mm. using an accounting trick where under Howard a decade ago, um, they undershot the 2020 target. That's why they can say, hey, we'll meet it with flying colours because it's nothing. It's like abysmal. Mm. But they're using, they're going to use the things that they kind of, the gap that they make from the 2020 target and carry it over to 2030, and that makes it half of half of the projection projected uh, target. So they've it's an accounting trick. They're halving it using an accounting trick. Uh, regardless, there's no, I don't know how we're going to make it anyway because we've been increasing every year the coalition mm. every year after the coalition first got into power in 2013. So it's all terrible. And he they they plan there was some leak a few days ago or some announcement that they plan to increase coal exports at a time when the rest of the world is trying to move away from this stuff. Uh, so, yeah, we are doing an atrocious job. Yeah. Um, but people powered, like, 300,000 people across Australia on Friday. You can't ignore that forever. Yeah. 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 Did you both attend? Did yeah. You yeah. Yeah. It was... I didn't hear anything. I couldn't hear anything. I was too far away. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even know there were speeches. I just heard people clapping, and I was like, okay, clap, I'm clapping, <laughs> I'm clapping. Wow. That's really That's funny. I did the same thing, and then you're like, what am I clapping for? What if... <laughs> What if someone's hijacked this and there are a bunch of You're cheap like, people yes, on stage? Hijacking, yes, hijacking, <laughs> hijacking. <laughs> yeah. 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 So big, big turnout. Big turnout, terrific weekend. Uh, mm. No response from the Prime Minister or Labour. I don't think even Al- Anthony Albanese said anything about it. Mm. Anyway. Not even a... Uh, like, I support the right to protest nothing. I don't. I can't remember. I, I might be staying corrected. Maybe he did yeah. say something about it. But the day of, I remember. Out of sight, <laughs> yeah. Situation. Yeah. Labor's probably not particularly happy about it in Queensland. Mm. Anyway. I um, wonder if uh, the there will be any kind of uh, from the international community at the, at the summit and all of this kind of stuff. If if there is going to be any pressure that's put on Australia, I think yeah. I think every now and then someone from the UN does say something like, "Hey, you guys, <laughs> you guys are cheating and you're not doing anything <laughs> and you're ramping up coal exports." Yeah. yeah. So I hope so. Maybe mm-hmm. you know we'll see. We'll see yeah. what gets said at this thing. Human rights bodies have been like. Tis tisking at yeah. Australia for so yeah. long, and you would think we'd learn. Yeah, but, you know, we keep doing no, the same they've... thing over and over. Absolutely, yeah. and they—I mean, the UN's great, but they also don't really have any power, so they yeah. can go at us for torture for mm. years now, and we can just shrug our shoulders and say, "Make us no yeah. teeth, come on." Yeah, um, separate but kind of related news actually is. And this is kind of something of a self-plug, but it is not just a self-plug for the sake of it, because it's already been reported a few other outlets. But Crikey Inc., which is the, uh, that is the unit I, I work for as part of, and with, with Crikey, the online news website, today, this morning, they launched, they've launched an investigation that's been going on for months. I know, I know the team have been doing it. And they've discovered that, I think it's, I'll have to double check the figures, but over the six years that the coalition have been in power, uh, They've hired, I think, 66 people for the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. And that is, like, that's the semi-judicial kind of body that, um, that, uh, that, that's where you kind of go if you want a government decision review. It's largely for people from refugee background or people with social security complaints or, like, a few other, you know, a few other issues like that. That's like, if you get some terrible demand from the government, you can kind of go here and be like, hey, they review uh, cases. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. They review cases. They're very. They've generally. They're generally pretty good. But they are also kind of an enemy of of 
the coalition in the way that they, they step in when they're trying to deport someone and the AT can say, actually, you did this or you did mm. that or, you know, whatever. But because the government, it's kind of semi, it's independent, but it's also semi, it's appointed by government colleagues, uh, government officials, and it's, yeah, it's over, like, I think 333 people are on it. And in six years, the, um, the government put at least 66 uh, people with coalition links. So these are like former, either former politicians, former staffers, former, um, you know, former, like, you know, yeah. people with any kind of ties to the coalition. Uh, and they've, like, it's, it's outwardly like a way to stack the council. And it's very, wow. some of these people don't have, some of them have no law, legal experience. Like, that's not a, that should be a requisite for like, and there was a, there was a review earlier this year that one of, some judge, I think Judge Callahan said, like, put a recommendation to be like, if you're in the AAT, you at least need a judicial background. Because this is, this is legal stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a requirement and the coalition can kind of do whatever they want. Uh, and they've, yeah, they've really, and like, it's, it's a really big investigation. I actually haven't read it all yet because mm-hmm. it only goes live this morning. Um, I, I need huge. to dive into it, that but it's is very huge. Yeah. yeah. I'd be curious to know, I'm not sure if you've already mentioned it, but how long, have they been doing this? They've been doing it for years, and it, some of this has gotten coverage. Like, it, it kind of made a bit of news early this year when the coalition thought that they were going to lose the election, and they, like, it It just kind of went... It's It blew up a little bit. Christian Porter put, like, a ton of... They put a ton of people on it that were obviously, like, just, like, plants that was, like... And you go on this council, you get three hundred over $300,000 a year. It's oh a very gosh. lucrative job. Mm. Uh, and like, it's people have known for a while that like, this is what the coalition is doing. But what Inc has done has, has done like a very, by the looks of it at least, like an incredibly thorough review of who these people are and what are, what their ties are to the coalition, what background they have, why, you know, um, relative to labor as well, who I think the last time they put like 13 people with some kind of attachment to labor. So probably still not great, but like not at this level. Like this is, this is a massive scale and it's politicizing really the only avenue a lot of people have if they want uh, some kind of, you know, generally pretty terrible de- like deportation issue or like, or um, having robot de- stuff right. like that. So, I would love to yeah. have, it'd be good to get someone um, who has legal experience in that? Like, oh, or it could be Anya. <laughs> yeah, this would be a good call, Lauren, call up Lauren <laughs> from Shepparton. It'd yeah. be good to know what ha- what next. Mm. Like, will the cases be overturned? No, I mean, there's not really anything illegal about what the coalition's doing. It's more that it's just blatantly political, and oh. it's it's. Um, like we've people have known like people have known that things like this were ramping up and this is i think this is again i have to read the full thing i should say because there's three ver- there's three stories today's the first there's another one tomorrow another one day after that um uh, and it's yeah i don't i'm not sure if there's any really right. like there's there's not much else you can do but it is very important to know and like one of the things was that when labor heard that the coalition in early this year were like throwing people at this thing they were like, this is, you know, this is atrocious. We're going to undo this when we, they thought they were going to win. They were saying, yeah. we're going to come in, we're going to undo all of this stuff. And we should try and set up some kind of, like, uh, body that, um, like an independent panel who can appoint people. So, like, it wouldn't be done by the government of the day or that it, it would kind of, like, mm. buffer. It would create some kind of buffer between the two. Um, yeah. So they, they actually did have a plan to make this a little less uh, political, um, but they didn't win. Yeah. So, you know... This is, uh, this I'd, is also, where we are. I'd also be curious to know, because you said 
people sort of knew or it, it, it was like this unspoken, spoken kind of um, uh, information. Or, yeah. But I'd be curious to know why now, like why is it being publicized now? Well, I think, I think again, I need to double check the story. Yeah. I'm sorry. I haven't, it only published like an hour ago, but it, um, I think it's like been, yeah, I think it's been two months worth of work discovering exactly who the people are and that, that shouldn't, um, yeah, I might just try, I'll try and find it. Just more in terms of like the media and... Well, like there's been a few stories and like earlier this year there there was like a little bit of coverage when the new appointments were made, but I think this is more of... more targeted coverage. Yeah, this is like going through exactly what they've done over six years, uh, exactly how, you know, it's, it's, um... Yeah, exactly how they've made the appointments, mm. uh, and like who, who these, yeah, again, who these people are, there's not, there's not always been like a huge amount of coverage of what they've done, and I think I'll, I'll read out one example here. The Cracky Inc. investigation discovered that one of these, there's a little quotes, independent appointments, Michael Cook is a fierce Tony, Tony Abbott loyalist who on Facebook described Zali Stegel, who defeated Abbott in May, with words including, uh, total fraud, crap, False cult queen, fake climate warrior, and weird, and like I think this is I think as part of the investigation goes, it's going through who these people are yeah. and like who have the coalition picked it out because na- naturally when these announcements are made, there is some coverage. It's like hey, six, the coalition picks thirty people to go on the council. Right. The journalist might only have time to be like, here are the top five. Here's like five examples we can use. But I think this is like a very thorough look at everything they've done, who they are, what their ties are to the coalition. This is. Fascinating. Yeah. Totally. Fascinating. And just like another example, there's so many issues, I guess, with Australian politics that we can look at where it's not democratic. Like, it's not, you know, the, we're not having a representative group of people on this body or whatever it's called. Yeah. That, you know, these are people's lives that are hanging in the balance and being decided by people with vested political interests. Totally. And it's like, it's a, there are, the AET has been like an enemy of the coalition and groups, I should say, like the Herald Sun, like Peter Dutton Herald has done these interviews with the Herald Sun over years and years, like over the last four years or whatever. He'll, he'll go to the Herald Sun and be like, oh, the AET has made me keep this person in Australia. And it's like, it's, it's that thing where like for him, if someone's committed a crime and like some of the people have, like it might be that they've committed a crime, but like he'll be like, oh, if you've done that, I get to deport you. Like, that's the thing. And the AAT says, well, like, actually, that's not generally how the judicial system works. Like, if you commit a crime, you go to, you try and, you go to jail, you, you enter some kind of rehabilitation. Deportation is kind of just saying, hey, you're someone else's problem and your life is ruined because you'll go back, you'll go to this country, possibly a country you've never been to, you know, mm-hmm. since you're a child. Uh, but yeah, that's the kind of stuff. And because they've done that, historically, like the, co- like the coalition hates the AAT and the Herald Sun is talk. these headlines come out that yeah. are like, AAT makes us keep blah, 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 you know. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's atrocious. And it's, um, but yeah, hopefully this is at least some kind of, you know, expose on like yeah. these are the people that yeah. they've used to yeah. undercut the system that Making is meant to be checks and balance. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm. Yeah. Let's get some, let's, yeah. can we just like change track and yeah. <laughs> yeah. maybe get Please. something lighthearted like a song? Yeah, yeah let's um, listen to some music. Let's get some Kai with Shiny, which is her latest single. She called me diamond on the weekday 
got so much pressure. That's why this song be stuck on replay. I got pressure. She called me diamond. No time for mistake. Too scared for writing. You know I dreamed this reality since I was a young and Write down who I be and now the manifestations coming in. Now why you acting like what? Now why you acting like that? Put your thoughts into the universe and she gon' bring it five back. You so high on yourself, mama, you don't need that. No, you your biggest critic, girl. Best believe that. Best believe that. Overthink it will be the death for me And my pointless stress It won't be the remedy For my motivation that I feel I need Ooh I got pressure She call me diamond on the weekday Got so much pressure That's why this song be stuck on replay And I got, I got pressure She call me diamond on the weekday is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully, it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there. 
as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here, and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between Queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call triple Six years I've been in Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here I'd like to say thank you for all for coming um, helping, giving us a chance to do this it's really good, you know, it's been going for a while now hopefully it goes, it keeps going you know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners We can't blame everything on the external so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family if you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. Welcome back. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Um, we have a special guest coming up in the next 15 minutes or so. Um, Sam from a podcast called Transgender Warriors. But before they come on, we thought we'd play one of the episodes. And this episode features um, Amal Latulu, a proud Samoan for fine trans woman of color. And yeah, so let's get that interview rolling. And then after that, we'll talk to the podcast producer. Tonight on our show, we're very lucky to have Amal Leotalu in the studio with us. We're going to spend the hour getting to know Amal, a proud Samoan fafafine, I hope I've said that right, trans woman of colour who infuses her proud identity in her public speaking and performance works. Welcome to the show, Amal. Thank you for having me, Talofa. And now I'm going to have to start by asking you whether I said fafafine right. You said it perfectly. Yes. You'll never live it down. (laughs) It's two points for you. (laughs) 
So, Amal, we might start by talking about what, what does Fafafine mean? Okay, Fafafine literally means, uh, in the mannerisms of a woman, it's a layered term in Samoan because we don't, we don't have like the acronyms that they have in the Western world, like LGBTIQA plus and so forth. So with us, we have a term called Fafafine, normally describes someone that is male to female, if we're talking Western concepts, trans, trans femme, or uh, is also given to someone that's considered a gay male. However, where I feel that term is challenged is I don't feel it specifically works for a gay male because they don't see themselves to necessarily want to be a female. So it's only been in the last three to four years have we come up with a trans, masculine or female to male term and that is fafa tama which is the opposite to in the mannerisms of female, it's in the mannerisms of male, so fafa tama and that term has come about in the last say three years and I think it was just the way that what you call it the dynamics of how culture changes and how language changes and that came up how best to cater for that community. So I'm curious where did you grow up what's your background do you want to tell us a bit about you? Okay New Zealand born migrated with my parents here in 82, 83 as a shy innocent 11, 12 year old and have spent half my life here in New Zealand. So I went back, I think, 91 and came back in 2003 to Australia. Originally from Sydney, came here uh, for the weekend one time to Melbourne and absolutely fell in love with Melbourne. Grass was greener, people were a lot nicer, and um, it was just nice to see houses, you know, people not living on each other's backyard. It was just nice. I just thought, oh, it just kind of reminds me of New Zealand. So, What part of Melbourne is home for you now? Are you a south sider, uh, a north sider? Central sider. Central Cider, yep, like so. CBD-ish? Yes, yeah, CBD. Oh, wow. <laughs> I went to a reading group at somebody's house in the CBD, and it was the first time I've ever been to a flat in the CBD, and it was such a good time. And I was like, why don't I live in the CBD? There's amazing Korean restaurants. This is a good place to be. But it's so funny, because when I used to stay out in Hampton, I used to wonder, I used to like look, you know, want to look forward to going, I have to go to the Victoria Markets. Now I'm right down the road from Victoria Markets and I've never visited there ever since I've been in town for the last five years. Always the way. Yeah. Amal, I want to find out a little bit more about your Samoan culture and Samoan background. Okay. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about what things are like for Samoan people when it comes to like trans people and gender diverse people in Samoa? Okay. Well, these two Samoas, this Samoa where my parents are from, which was known as Western Samoa, and then there's American Samoa, two different countries, like once upon a time, the two Germanys, two Koreas. Uh, We have the two Samoas in the Pacific. Western Samoa, which is um, where my parents from, my connection uh, used to be under British rule and then under New Zealand rule. In terms of the way people are with regards to uh, someone like myself, Fafafine, uh, they're quite accepting, just we're tolerated. We're a culture that, you know, uh, for Fafafine, there is a place for us in cultural, you know, in society there. 
we quite warmly, positively embraced. And I think that gives me leverage in comparison to me being here in Australia is that over there it's a lot more accepting. We we have whawhawhene employment. The numbers are not low, like able to go for jobs and not be challenged or not be declined in a negative way. And so just to have that you know, it's quite liberating for any whawhawhene or any trans person. The fact that we can just be ourselves and, you know, have our community, you know, be supportive of who we are. Uh, the great thing that I love about the whawhawhene back in Samoa, we have a whawhawhene Samoan Association, which is the main community for whawhawhene there, and they're synonymous in the community work that they do, and it's very visible. Like, we have our Miss Samoa whawhawhene pageant, It's a pageant that humorously, with a difference, but in the same respect that these are whawhawhene that are out there proactive out in the community, doing stuff to do with health and that. And it's great because the community warms to that. But what I feel it comes down to also is just that as Samoans were brought up to care for one another, that everybody is family. So we don't necessarily just see it as blood, but we see that, okay, you must be of service to other people. And so coming from a community of whawhawhene that have that way of thinking, that it's not just about, it's not about me, but it's about us, is that it's quite encouraging. And in terms of sorting out your, trying to get over who you are, I said, no, you just know who you are. And so that concept of coming out, I don't kind of look at it like that. I just think you evolve. If I have a coming out, my, the way I look at my coming out was I came out of my mum's stomach. That was my coming out. Good yeah. call. In terms of how that culture has come to be, is it something that is widespread throughout Samoa? Is it all levels of people? Is it, you know, what kind of government support and the like? Fafafine, and I've forgotten already the, the <laughs> opposite word. Fafatama? Fafatama. Fafatama. Yeah, yeah Fafafine have always existed. We have a long history, even when we look at some of the other Pacific nations, such as Tahiti and uh, Captain Cook's arrival. There's written in the history books about um, the equivalent in Tahiti or Hawaii, uh, ma'u, and just the relationships that some of the, the trans or gender diverse people had with some of those people in the Captain Cook journey. So Fafafine have, have always been there. It's a lot more stronger now, whereas it's great that my community is able to own their identity when I look at other trans people around the world and how they struggle to even even live or to even exist you know it's even here that I find to a certain extent as well you know the history of Fafafine it's always been there and it's quite a strong history I think where we're lucky is just that, um, as I was mentioning before, we see everybody as family and Samoan's not a culture that is good at cutting people off. We don't, we can't, it's not, it's not a Samoan thing to bluntly cut somebody off. Um, no matter whether it's right or wrong, we tend to still keep on to our, our, say, our brothers or our sisters or our, our relatives. And that's encouraging because I think that's the last thing who somebody going through their journey of identity, that's the last thing you want to do is have people that you've known for so long cut you off. You're listening to Transgender Warriors on Joy 94.9 and we're going to go to a track now. This is Queen by Perfume Genius. Don't you know you're queen? 
Discrimination. 3CR's Rooming House and Homeless Persons Issues Program. Featuring information on health and housing services, as well as live local guests, artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12pm on Thursday on 3CR 855 AM. Tune in, dig deep and clean up by purchasing some fantastic discounted gardening books from 3CR's online garden store. We have books on water-wise gardening, organic vegetables, roses, climbers and creepers and even clematis. It's easy. Just go to our website, 3cr.org.au and follow the links on the front page. Don't have internet access? Call the station during business hours between 9 and 5 and we'll post out a catalogue in the mail. All proceeds help keep Melbourne's favourite gardening show on air for another year. Tune in 7.30am every Sunday morning.
you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Good morning, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio with myself, Ayan, George and Chris who is sticking around and did that fantastic news um, headlines and yeah, gave us a lot to think about and a lot to read up on. Right now on the phone we have Sam, Sam Alkin. Sam Alkin is the creator um, and one of the co-presenters of Transgender Warriors on Joy FM. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Sam. Hello, thanks for having me. No, thank you for coming in. Well, not coming in, but thank you for being with us so early um, at this time. So can we just maybe start off with a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I am a lawyer. I work as the LGBTIQ outreach lawyer for St Kilda Legal Service. And um, used to do a radio show on Joy about 10 years ago, so um, decided to uh, take up the opportunity to do another show, and we're profiling trans and gender diverse um, writers, creators and thinkers uh, every week in a long-form um, journalistic uh, interview style. Mm. And the title of the podcast, Transgender Warriors, which is an excellent title, what was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, that was um, taken from Leslie Feinberg's book of the same name, which is uh, Transgender Warriors, um, and it's a historical account of trans and gender diverse people from Joan of Arc to Dennis Rodman, I think is what the um, subtitle is. Um, so Leslie Feinberg was um, the amazing writer who wrote Stonebutch Blues, um, is probably best known for that book, which is a semi-autobiographical account of their um, experiences in the dragon camp bars and um, medically transitioning later in life. Hi Sam, this is George. Um, I really love the title and I love the yeah the origin. Can you tell us a bit more about why you picked that particular book or why you felt that was a good title for the podcast? Um, well, I mean, I'm a big fan of Leslie Feinberg and we profiled um, Leslie on our first episode. Um, so yeah, we wanted to use the name of one of the names of their books. Um, you know, as a tribute to, to their entire life. They sadly passed away a few years ago, so we wanted to name the podcast after one of Leslie Feinberg's books, um, in part to, I guess, um, resurrect or, or let more people know about Leslie Feinberg's amazing legacy to um, trans writing and trans thinking. Leslie was also an amazing intersectional activist, so, we yeah, we just thought it was a great opportunity to honour their legacy. Yeah, terrific. This is Sam. Sorry, third in a row. This is Chris. I am. Um, I was wondering. I, I noticed that you're you're interviewing Oliver Reeson tomorrow night. Uh, big big friend. Yeah, friend of mine. Big big dag. They're terrific. What um, what are, what are these conversations like? And and what um, what are some of the highlights you found talking to to trans and, and non-binary uh, writers? 
Yeah, well, it was a real honour interviewing Oliver, who's the um, co-writer of the SBS show Homecoming Queens and has done a lot of writing about masculinity. Um, it's a great opportunity for me and my co-host, Gemma, to sit down with really interesting trans and gender diverse people and actually have a long chat um, and not having to sort of have awkward conversations with people you don't know very well, but just sort of like get to the heart of the matter. And I found it a real privilege and a real honour getting to know, um, yeah, some of the most sort of amazing people that are, that are just on my doorstep that I didn't otherwise know. So I guess we wanted to do the show to let um, our community, our trans and gender diverse community know that there are people all over the place who are uh, trans and gender diverse that are doing really awesome, interesting projects and that everybody should just kind of follow their hearts. So, yeah, it's been a wonderful opportunity. That's amazing, and it's it's so important now. It, it's always been important, but it's especially important now where I'm I'm not sure if you've heard about it, and, and, and trigger warning as well for a lot of people, but this... Um, Recently, we, we've noticed that uh, publications like The Australian have really, like, r- you know, ramped up their rhetoric against tran- trans and, and gender diverse people, especially post-marriage equality. It seems like a lot of people on that side of politics have changed targets. And, um, yeah, I know the, the Australians launched this new gender section where they um, they really, it's like 99% trans critics, if we can call them that, um, and possibly one interview with a trans person in, in amongst dozens of articles. Um, how, how do you find yourself working through that in, in a media landscape that can be quite uh, quite difficult and, and insulting for uh, for trans authors, trans, trans writers, trans people? Yeah, you know? well, I mean, we're, you know, very, very well aware of the political landscape in which we're operating. You know, we've got the Religious Discrimination Bill, which is likely to curtail the rights of trans and gender diverse people in healthcare in a range of settings. Um, we've got, yeah, the media attacks by The Australian. We've got Scott Morrison saying that they don't need gender-neutral signs in the bathroom oh, in Parliament. God, that's um, ridiculous. Yeah, we know, we're very aware of the landscape that we're operating in, and I guess that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do the show. We wanted to take some of the space back and just yeah. say this is who we are and this is what we're about. We're not going to engage in um, 24-7 depressing conversations about why the government might be attacking us and denying our right to exist. We're going to tell our own stories in the way that we want to. And, um, yeah, I think that's the importance of community radio, that we can actually take a little bit of the space back and then distribute it around through podcasts and stuff so that more people can hear our work. That's really cool, yeah. And uh, I guess I wanted to, you know, you mentioned community radio and I wanted to ask about uh, being at Joy and kind of the history of Joy and what it means to have a trans program at this particular station. Yeah, well, Joy has had um, a couple of trans and gender diverse shows um, for a while on Joy over many years and at the moment there's also Trans Point of View, which is another show um, run by Anastasia Lee and others, which is really awesome. There isn't, like, heaps of trans and gender diverse shows on Joy and, you know, we think that we should always be striving for more representation and um, representation of different groups as well. So, yeah, we keep trying to push to make sure that our show reflects our diverse community. So we had um, Kahava Lillet on the other day who, um, amongst other things, is a disability activist. Um, obviously, we had Amal Liashalu, whose interview that you played before, who's an amazing... Samoan Fafafina activists. We want to keep um, looking for, for interviewees who represent different parts of our, you know, rainbow and gender diverse spectrum and, and not just sort of knocking on the doors of the, the usual suspects. 
Yeah, yeah, mm. fair enough. And it's good to see, I guess, it's good to see Joy go through a process where they are trying to have uh, their station represent more voices of the LGBTIQA plus community. Absolutely, yeah. And where can we, and uh, in, in terms of access, not access, sorry, um, where can we listen to this program and is, is it a weekly program? Yeah, so it's weekly at 10 p.m. Um, every Wednesday night. So you can hear our interview with Oliver Reeson, um, the, the SAS, tomorrow night at 10 p.m. If you just tune in to Joy 94.9 on FM radio if you're in Melbourne. Otherwise, you can listen to the podcast. You can get it on Spotify and iTunes. And yeah, if you just Google like Transgender Warriors and Joy 94.9, you'll, that'll take you to the webpage where you can download the episodes as well. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks so much, Thanks Sam. for having me. All the best. It's funny how money changes situation. Miscommunication leads to complication. My emancipation don't put your equation. I was on the humble you on every station. Someone play young Lauren like she done. But remember not to game the one of the sun. Everything you did has already been done. You might win some, but you just lost one. You might 
You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on Tracia. You were just hearing from Lauren Hill. Last one? Yes. Yes, great track. <laughs> on the line, we have Reb Murray, who is the marketing coordinator at Minus 18. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Reb. My pleasure. So you're here to talk to us about Minus 18's report, um, young and queer, but it would be good. I, I think most of our listeners probably know a bit about Minus 18, but for any who, who aren't familiar, can you give us a bit of info about the organisation? Totally. Um, so we're Australia's um, largest uh, youth-driven uh, charity supporting LGBTIQ young people. Um, and, yeah, we basically go around Australia, mostly Melbourne, but to Sydney and um, Adelaide as well, hosting uh, amazing identity-affirming events for young people, um, we provide training for uh, students and teachers and um, organisations on inclusivity and how to support um, LGBTIQ community and young people and colleagues and co-workers. Um, and we also, uh, yeah, we just put on amazing events and provide resources and uh, spread the love online as well. Very cool. Yeah, it's um, been following what the work that you've been doing for a while and I'll always see really interesting things going on, which is awesome to see. We do. We, we give it a we give it a good hot crack. Yeah. So, this young and queer report is also super interesting and is available online for anyone that wants to to read it. It's also very accessible to read as well. There's so much we could talk about in this report. It was hard to pick out a couple <laughs> of points. It's really really difficult. But to start off with, maybe you could tell us how the information was collected and the, a bit about the process. Totally. Um, yeah. So it's a. It's a real meaty one. There's a lot covered in it. And um, basically, this time last year, um, we were commissioned by the Victorian government to um, basically... Well, they identified that um, young people, LGBTIQ young people, need more of an opportunity to really, like, have a say on the issues that affect them um, and they, that, that they care about um, and to be involved um, and engaged in the decision-making process about, like, tackling those issues um, and really having their, their, their thoughts and their... Um, the things that are important to them heard by the leaders around them. Um, so we were commissioned to put together a two-day Queer Ideas Festival, um, which was amazing, and it was, like, just the most wonderful couple of days. Um, so 120 young people within our community, like the minus 18 youth and, and beyond, um, were chosen to uh, basically have two days of uh, workshops and small groups where... Um, our facilitators sort of went through the issues that, that are really affecting them um, day to day and the things that would, they'd like to see uh, tackled by the leaders around them. Um, so it was a, a mix of workshops and um, a individual worksheets, I guess, knowing that some of the issues that we were tackling were, you know, pretty pretty hairy ones. So, you know, in the instances where they wouldn't want to speak about them in the, in the groups, they could have other ways of... Um, expressing their um, ideas and their beliefs and uh, video diaries as well and so there was all sorts of things that we um, we did over those two days and then we put together all of the basically all of that data um, and worked through it and read it and analyzed it um, and put, um, produced a, a number of ideas in different categories for the young um, participants to vote on that were most important to them so there was a lot tackled. Mm, yeah. Um, and then from that, we put together this Young and Queer report. So it goes through um, 
basically issues surrounding schools and education and community and coming out and well-being. Um, and within those, uh, things like uh, sexual health education, um, action against bullying, um, school groups, uh, LGBTIQ youth events and spaces and uh, support for trans and gender diverse students and intersectionality. So there's a lot. Mm. There's a lot in there. Yeah, and I think one thing that I think is uh, really fantastic about the report is that you weren't just asking younger people about their experiences. You were also asking them what solutions they thought are requi- would be required in order to address these problems, and I think that's that's really important. Yeah, I think that's one of the the things that's the coolest about the report. I mean, I'm biased. I thought it was an amazing read when I first like sat down and actually went through the solutions that they had because they're so... I mean, the young people that we, um, at all of our events, but definitely within the um, Queer Ideas uh, Festival, so articulate and has had so many amazing ideas that were really, like, good ideas and Mm. solutions. Yeah, and maybe we can tease out some of these specific issues. So in terms of issues related to school and people's school experiences, what kind of stuff came out of that? Well, the the top, um, the one that got the most amount of votes uh, was uh, around sexual health education, so mm. um, inclusive sex ed, because um, currently, I, I guess, a lot of um, the, the queer young people, that, well, most of them really, and including myself, it's definitely, um, their experiences at school meant that, um, that sex education was pretty irrelevant to them. It was centered around heterosexual and cisgender experiences. They felt excluded, and they were just sort of like, we're not getting any, any education and um, on on that. And I guess the alternative is going online and being mm. unsure whether they're see- what they're seeing online is going to be accurate and safe. Yeah, that's so important. We desperately need that. It's shocking that we don't have that kind of education. I know. I mean, I didn't. Uh, the sex ed at my school was pretty lackluster, and knowing that what like a decade later it's still very lackluster is like pretty disheartening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, the the next highest one was action against school bullying. Mm. Um, there was a lot of stories and uh, you know personal examples from the participants that were pretty shocking about um, you know seeing um, homophobia and transphobia um, every day in the schoolyard and the, I guess the teachers around them in many cases not being properly trained up in mm. the ways to um, to tackle those instances. Um, so I guess the, the main uh, solution that they, they posited was to have um, more LGBTIQ training and education for teachers um, and nurses and I guess all school um, school staff and, and also parents as well and having mm. that really readily available. Yeah, that, that seems like a huge one, especially since, you know, it seems like teachers really set the tone of the culture at the, at the school and they can, you know, they, they can do a huge amount of damage, but they can also do a lot in terms of supporting students. And if they are properly trained around, you know, queer stuff, the, the, the stuff that they could do would be huge. But it does seem like a lot of teachers don't have an understanding of what it means to be a, a person in the LGBTQ plus community at all. Yeah, and I mean, you can definitely see when there is like a really supportive environment and teachers that are, you know, really, really champion inclusivity and use, you know, gender inclusive and gender um, neutral language and they're like just equipped with ways to be really positive and supportive. The, the marked difference that they ha- that, that has, um, mm. and having those support systems for students as well, uh, you know, the, it makes a huge difference. You're right. Mm. Yeah. 
So if you've just tuned in, I'm talking to Reb Murray, who is the marketing coordinator at Minus 18. I'm conscious of the time. I knew we would run out of time <laughs> when I gave you the list of, of points for us to go through. But um, let's try and squeeze in a couple more. So thinking about the comments that the younger people had around community and support and particularly those living in regional and rural areas, what came out of that? Yeah, we're really um, conscious that uh, we wanted to have um, the you know queer youth from um, regional area, rural areas um, at the Queer Ideas Festival, so made sure that um, we subsidised the travel for a, a big group of them and big cohort. Um, and I guess the issues that they faced were... Um, you know, just how it's costly and difficult for, in many cases, for them to come into metro areas to um, to access uh, events for queer queer youth, so they can you know make friends and have that sense of community. Um, because within, in many cases, within their own communities, it's really tough to ha- to access those, and there's not many events, if there are any at all. I mean, like if you're not you know white and straight dude part of the flu team, then it's kind mm. of isolating. Um, so I guess their solutions were to, you know, develop travel scholarships for LGBTIQ youth in regional areas to access those events and services, um, creating more funding for more events in those rural communities, mm. um, but also um, making sure that uh, metro, area, metro LGBTIQ young people are able to access those rural areas to really build that sense of community yeah. and have that visibility um, and I guess one of the things we're also doing at Minus 18 is we're taking our workshops on the road. We're doing a bit of a road trip into rural areas. We've got some funding for that, which is really exciting. Oh, awesome. So heading out into those rural areas yeah. and working with the um, organizations that might already be there to to make sure that workshops are really accessible um, for, yeah, just all members of the community out there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we always, we're always talking about the importance of community uh, for, for, for any group, you know, but the, there was one quote that stood out to me in relation to this that someone said that there's only been one event in my town since same sex marriage was legalized. You know, so that really shows you that, that, that there isn't a lot going on for a lot of people and that that could be a really big issue if you don't have access to those kinds of events and meeting other people that have similar experiences to you. Totally. I mean, like, um, even at our Minus 18 um, queer formal, which is like a sort of a school formal that we um, host for, um, in Melbourne, Sydney and Adelaide, um, a lot of the constantly see um, within the survey that we send out afterwards that for a lot of our attendees, it's like the first time that they've met other, you know, queer young people, uh, you know, ever really, um, and how m- much of an impact that can have. Mm. So making sure that, and that's, you know, a lot of, most of the attendees will be from metro areas. So making sure that it's easy for, you know, queer young people to access those sorts of events and it mm. makes a huge difference. Yeah. Absolutely. And maybe perhaps for the last question, we could talk about intersectional perspectives. What kind of comments did you get from QDPOC people, also people that identify as neuroqueer? Yeah, so um, one, of the, uh, yeah, it was one of the top ideas that the, um, our young peeps had was that, um, that there's a really a huge need for more understanding, um, in, especially in, around in their schools, um, around the neurodiversity and mental health issues. Um, that, you know, First Nations people aren't being represented in education in the community and media, um, you know, let alone LGBTIQ First Nations people. Um, and, you know, just discussions and um, 
anecdotes and chats around, you know, young people of faith and cutie puck people saying that um, they're less likely, they feel less likely uh, to come out, um, you know, thinking that perhaps they might not be supported by their family, mm. whether or not that's true. Um, I mean, I know that when I did, it took ages for me to uh, come out, uh, you know, being unsure about um, how my Chilean family would mm. sort of take it. They ended up being amazing and so supportive, but all those things play a part in, yeah. uh, you know, the mental health of the, the cutie park young people that, you know, uh, are out there and making sure that uh, the LGBTIQ uh, training that, um, you know, teachers and parents receive is, you know, inclusive and intersectional and, um, you know, touches on cutie park issues and, uh, visibility within the community yeah. and um, it, it all plays a part and that was a huge, huge discussion that um, we had. We made sure that Cutie Puck um, uh, uh, participants, we, we made sure that there was like, you know, a real representation from Cutie Puck and, you know, people of faith as well within the Queer Ideas Festival and I think that made a huge difference in, in the um, issues being discussed and also the solutions. Yeah, absolutely. And may, maybe also, I think it might have been mentioned the, the importance of having more specialised services for people who identify as Cutie Puck um, or neuroqueer or, you know, that are living on the intersections of various different identities. Um, Definitely. And, yeah. Um, one of the um, solutions that the um, participants um, within the Queer Ideas Festival um, put, put forward was to have, um, yeah, specific resources available. And we've actually, with um, Drummond Street, uh, just about to release uh, an addition to our OMG um, written resources. Um, so there's OMG I'm Queer, OMG My Friend is Queer, OMG I'm Trans, and we're just about yeah. to release uh, OMG I'm Cutie Puck, which is super exciting. Awesome. Oh, we'll have to look forward to hearing more about that. Yes, keep an eye on our website and uh, we'll be putting out some online resources as well in the next few weeks, which I'm definitely excited about. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time this morning. And if, if you're listening and you found any of that content interesting, you can read the report online. There's so much more there. Uh, it was lovely to speak to you this morning, Reb. Hope you have a nice day. Thank you. This has been a really nice way to start, start my day. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thank you. This is a song about uh, handouts. You know, uh, I believe that Aboriginal people are getting pretty sick and tired of, of uh, handouts and the, and the welfare system. A song that I call Keep Your Handouts and Give Us Back Our Land.
And you say the government has given us enough But here's one thing you'll never understand Keep your hand out, give us back our land 200 years is a long, long time 200 years we've been told we're the line But no more, we say no more No, we got nothing to be happy for No, no What we need is our independence Something to keep for our descendants before Before it's too late No, there's nothing here for us in 88 No, no, no You might think that we already have too much And you say the government has given us enough But here's one thing you'll never understand Just keep your hand out, give us back our land We've got to break these chains of oppression We've got to fight for our rightful possessions or die You lay down and die Cause it's been too long That you've ignored our cry Yeah, yeah But he was now the Australian nation For us there'll be no celebration And you're You're the ones to blame
You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. We have another, another amazing guest. But before we introduce Fatima, the song that you heard was Fighting for Our Rights by Joe Gaya. Um, Amar, the movie that Fatima is here to talk about, is about a 28-year-old Muslim woman with Down syndrome who decides to have a wedding without a groom. Um, the director of this gorgeous short film, Fatima Mawas, is in the studio to talk about it, but also why it's captivating audiences around Australia. Um, the film was produced by um, Ade Dijamaja and Leanne Li- Li- Tonks. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Fatima. Hi. She's so annoying. She's got the camera... Um, directed at me. I know this is going to go on Instagram, which is super annoying. It's actually already live. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, you're terrible. Okay, so on Radio National, you said that you were inspired by a family who threw their daughter a wedding, so a family based in Palestine. Um, do you remember what impressed you about this film? I'm uh, sorry, about this event. Yeah. Um, I got feelings. <laughs> um I think I was on Facebook and I was just scrolling and saw a news piece, kind of like, um, you know, Vice equivalent, but in the Middle East um, and not Vice. (laughs) And um, it was really beautiful. And it interviewed the parents and the woman that got through, had this wedding. Mm. Um, And... It really showed the love within a family and then subsequently the greater community. Mm. And I have never been able to actually see that when I'm thinking about Arabs or when I'm thinking about Muslims. It's always about survival or death or something really horrible. Right. But this was like, yeah, a story that, you know, was still, you know, no doubt was going to have its um, problems, but it still had this, you know, massive, you know, radiance that I was just, I was buzzing after I watched it. I was like, this feeling is what Mm. people need to be feeling when they're watching films about my community. Um, And, you know, because I'm just so sick of the gangster, the rapper, or the, like, drug dealer, or whatever it is. And even, like, in the female sort of categories of films of like the slam poet or the sports person it's just all so tropey it's like yeah. can we please move on like it's been 10 years of having to tell the same bloody stories mm. and then it also for me showed um you know spoke to the idea of intersectionality really well mm. what does the life of a person with a disability who lives within a minority what does that look like yeah and w- what ways do the minorities oppress the minorities? Right. And you've, because in your Radio National interview, which is excellent, and I recommend everyone listen to that interview, you talked about people feeling uncomfortable, um, well, people not feeling comfortable with talking about disability in our community. Mm. Can you tell us why that might be? I think there's a number of reasons. I think... Um, it comes down to shame and stigmatization, which I think is rooted in, you know, disenfranchised communities, 
that are struggling to survive, that lack resources. Um, and yeah, and like, you know, ultimately it stems from colonization mm. and capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there is, there, as part of this project, there was a long, uh, a lot of research that I had to do and interview a lot of families that have uh, an adult specifically because even with when you're looking at disability or you're looking at Down syndrome very often people will be like oh look how cute the little kitties or whatnot but when you look at an adult who's looking to get married then all of a sudden it's no longer cute it's just a bit awkward like what do we say or what do we do and Mm -hmm. so I really focused in on families that had adults with Mm. um, a disability or any form of an acquired brain injury and then um, and did some interviews with them. And a lot of it, you know, you hear there were like, there are some horrible stories. Right. Um, Yeah. And when you were finding people to talk about to, um, in terms of research to inform your project, was that difficult? Like, like, was it hard to find families who were willing to let you in into their lives? Definitely. It was it, such a struggle. did you not convince them, but what was your message? Often it was uh, a connection through a person. So someone that that family considered to be safe that then would vouch for me mm. and then I could engage with an, in an interview. Sometimes I, was not, I wasn't allowed to actually talk to the person with the disability I was told you can talk to the sister or the mother or the brother but you're not allowed to actually talk to them yeah it's really like intense yeah (laughs) other times uh, you know at one stage I flew up to Sydney and I met you know a whole family but I and and there were three adults in this one family that had um, Down syndrome or some type of not even Down syndrome it's some type of acquired brain injury but often with migrant communities there isn't even a diagnosis of what that condition or disability is mm. because there's shame and they're not going to go to the doctors and get a diagnosis or any type of like support so they so yeah you can and even in that instance it was like I went I met these family and they had three adults that had some form of a brain injury or like um, delayed um, um, impairment of like intellectual form and it was it had to happen kind of on the DL because it was like the brother doesn't know that you're here so we can meet with you right now and have this chat but like they're not going to be in your film and you can't you know and it was just like that must have been frustrating for you but also um how did you make sense of that? Because this is our community and mm. by our community, I mean Muslim the Muslim community. community. Um, like sort of knowing why they're doing what they're doing, but also like how how did you make sense of all that? It was a struggle, man. It was like really a struggle because you were just constantly, constantly hearing stuff that was just mm. not that great. Even from people that were like really well-meaning or, you know, so, so people that had, supposedly think that they've turned into a more supporting sibling or a more supporting whatever, but actually a lot of the their terminology is still, you know, problematic. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm not a... I, I'm not, I don't have a family member that has an acquired brain injury, so, like, 
I've got no right to sit here and say, oh, you, can, you can't say, you know, certain things like what's normal or, you know, there's just certain terms that get thrown around and when you're talking about disability, it's really, like, not okay. Yeah. But these are siblings that were saying this stuff from a, like, you know, I don't mind anymore yeah. that my sibling is like this. Or yeah. I don't, and it's, and it's just, yeah. You can imagine, well... I can't imagine, but I like to think that's coming from a place where they're protective, right? Because yeah. they're used to um, their family member either being ridicu- ridiculed or, you know, judged harshly and so on. So mm. there's that, like, But not every, instinct. like, you know, and I want to say, like, it's not every family. Right. A large number of them. Right. And you hear more horrible stories when you go overseas. But when, yeah. you know, there there were some some mothers and some sisters and some brothers of people that had or have mm. an acquired brain injury mm. that were like amazing and mm. you know I, I took so much from that like you know and the little secrets that they have as siblings that they keep mm. from the parent that's like yeah. but thankfully you were able to find Kate Barakas who mm. plays Amara can you tell us a bit about Kate? Kate Kate is a fireball man <laughs> she's um so she's a 24 year old woman who is, comes from, is Greek, um, and she is a dancer, and she's done some theatre. This is her first film, mm. and she volunteers at a childcare centre. So she's not an actress? She's not actually, she, well, she's done theatre, yeah. and she's done lots of dance, hip-hop dance. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this was the first film that she has performed in. Right. And so that was very intense for her, and she was very nervous. And <laughs> yeah. But she killed it. She, no, she, she did. really brought it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, okay, so thinking about the, your, your, like the films that you've made and your lead characters, um, so all these, so Kate, who plays Amar, is a boss ass woman. And then there's also um, Khadija in Fighting for Air, who's also a boss ass woman. Mm. Are these women all an amalgamation of you, Fatima? <laughs> <laughs> of course. I'm, I'm that sort of like yeah. egotistical. All my stories <laughs> are about me. <laughs> Was it important for you to have um, those kind of lead characters? Of course, yeah. I think, you know, they... Um, it, like, you know, it's stereotypical, but you grow up and you see really shit representations of you and your cousins and your family, and you're like, this is so boring, so it's like, can we do something a bit more real or a bit more fun? Or mm. And so I think, um, yeah, with every character, it's about making sure that it's a really unique um, and sort of like driven Muslim woman. Mm. And like, I will only do things that have that feature the protagonist as a strong Muslim woman. Mm. And maybe you could sort of quickly touch on this. You've got to... A film in the works about mm. a Sufi sci-fi. Okay, make sense <laughs> of that. Make sense of that. So it's called Guardian, and it follows a 55-year-old Muslim woman who um, experiences a racist incident, freezes in that moment, and then goes home and in her prayer is distracted by, I wish I could have done this or I should have done that. So while she's in her prayer, she has this moment of time travel 
And she goes back in time to the just before the incident and gets the the attacker back mm. and then really likes a taste of vengeance. And so whenever she sees something in public that's a bit dodgy or like, you know, completely shit, she runs home, prays and time travels to undo the yeah. bad thing. And ultimately... To when you say pray, do you mean salat or just like... No, no, salat, like in sujood, <laughs> in, that, in the sujood position, so in prostration that. I've position. I've never seen salat used I know, in that way. Right? Okay. We never get to... But this is it. This is what salat is, right? Like yeah. salat is your moment of like this magical time travel thing. That's right. but, but we're so disconnected as human beings mm. from like anything that is spiritual or anything that is of substance. It's mm. like all this bullshit materialism and all this... Like right. yeah, and, and so I want to really bring that shit back. Yeah, and, and I want to also say that salat like is five no. prayers. Um, so five prayers that Muslims are expected to do during throughout the day, mm. and I love that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so incredible, and it's definitely not tropey. No, definitely not tropey. No, no. But it's you know it's gonna look at nasib, the concept of destiny, in oh. Islam as well, and that there's some things that you just can't change. You've you've got to accept as. This is the way it is. And there are other things that you can actually have your hand in and, you know, change yeah. the course of them. And when, when, like how, like when is it coming out? Oh. Oh, like do you have a ballpark date? I don't know. It depends on if I can get $10.5 million. Oh, Lord. <laughs> no, no. I'm in, I'm writing at the moment. And so I'll hopefully be, I'm planning on going overseas mm. next year for a six-month period to write this feature. And then... People are not cast. And I only ask because then, like, I'd love to promote it in the community. Yeah, right. In terms of, like, the only person for the roles. Like, I'm writing for a specific woman. So the grandmother oh. of Amar, who was also a non-actor, but just was amazing, um, who also is a tarot reader and does numbers for you. Okay. And, like, she does everything. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm writing for her. But everyone else, you, I'll write in yeah. something for you, Ayon. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I wasn't trying to make it about myself, but since you oh, opened that door. I think I don't know, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Fatima. Thank you for having me. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing whitefellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to... Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277. 
In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au. Red Alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. What a show this morning. We'd love to thank all of our beautiful and talented guests. Sam Elkin from Transgender Warriors. Check out the podcast. Reb Mary from Minus 18. And we had Fatima Mawas about her new film, short film, Amar. We'll see you next week. Up next is Accent of Women.